0: Hello and welcome to Revolution 22's teaching podcast. We are a church from the downtown area in Boise, Idaho. Thank you for joining us today and hearing this week's sermon. We pray that God's word will be received and will bear fruit in your life. Morning. So good to be with you. The Rev family. I'm grateful for Bren. Grateful for the staff, the elders. Grateful for the leaders. Uh, it's been fun for me in the last decade or so just to rub shoulders with you and walk alongside this church family. I'm so grateful for uh, the Rev 22 family. It's a reputable church, um, and reputation matters when it comes to organizations. When it comes to to people, uh, Proverbs 22 says, "Choose a good reputation over great riches." Being held in high esteem is better than silver and gold. Reputation. Uh, it's what you're known for. Sometimes you're known for certain positive things. Sometimes you're known for certain weaknesses, if I can say it that way. All I have to do is to say a name, and you know which category they fall into. Benedict Arnold, Pete Rose. Mother Teresa, Abe Lincoln. King Herod. slaughtered shepherds who testified magi they worshipped joseph and mary they obeyed i love the joseph and mary part of the christmas story and what they did and what i appreciate is the cost that they paid uh to carry this out for us to have Christmas. It really does depend upon them. And Their reputation actually is what it is because of their character. I really appreciate what John Wooden said when he put it this way. Let me go back a slide. Oh, whoa, that went really fast. Do you mind finding the John Wooden quote? I'll just set that aside. <laughs> UCLA coach, former coach put it this way, be more concerned with your character than with your reputation because your character is what you really are while your reputation is merely what others think you are. You know, we work hard to keep the positives part of our reputation, the negatives part of our reputation. We kind of discard those negatives. We want to set those aside, don't we? And Today, we're really tempted with uh, to marshal societal clout so that we look good in the reputation of others, they will adore us. Uh, the danger with that is we we can kind of ignore God's eyes on our character, subterranean. So, you know, we live in a culture that actually uh, is, is trying to counterfeit character for the sake of building reputation. Are you hearing the irony in that? We're, we're being fed a line that we need to live up to a societal standard set by what others think about you, the opinion of others, that a self-made reputation is actually the way to make us look good when compared to others. That's what we're fed into. But what I want to rehearse to you today is to go back in time and look at the, an element in the Christmas story. That famous story in Matthew 1, I think, can help us in the building of our character and therefore to entrust our reputation to God. Let's get it in that order. And I think as we look closely into this story, specifically at the character of Joseph, we'll see that he countered cultural expectations by actually sacrificing his reputation for God. Here's where Matthew starts the story, Matthew chapter 1. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a righteous man, just to put a pause there for a second, being a just man, being a man with good standing in the eyes of God, the Hebrew word there is a great word, tzaddik. Tzaddik, this means he was known for his uncompromising obedience to the part of our Bible that would be known as the Torah, the Old Testament law of Moses. In other words, as a as a tzaddik, Joseph he didn't eat unclean food. He didn't hang out with certain kinds of people. He didn't keep his carpentry shop open on Sabbath for a few extra drachmas. He was he was reputable, and his reputation preceded him. He was a tzaddik. That was his identity. Everybody knew this about him, and he was what people aspired to be. Almost like an athlete wanting to be an MVP or an all-star, being a tzaddik meant you were admired. You were looked up to. You were somebody. It means millions follow you on Twitter. That sort of a person. That's Joseph's reputation. Benjamin Franklin said, it takes many good deeds to build a good reputation and only one bad one to ruin or to lose a reputation. Joseph is on the edge of what some would say would be a bad decision that would ruin his reputation. See, Joseph is a righteous man with an impeccable reputation, but now he's a tzaddik in a pickle. Kosher one for sure. (laughs) As you know, Mary, very likely 14 years old, 15 years old. Joseph might be a 19 or 20 year old young man. Uh, They're pledged to be married. They were the Hebrew word betrothed. Jewish betrothal was more than what we kind of get today when we try to equate it to engagements they're not quite the same betrothal was was normally accompanied with a groom's payment to for at least part of the bride's price to the father to the family kind of like a dowry paid for uh, the the bride's father uh, betrothal meant that partners were officially pledged to each other and actually in in the first century world when they were betrothed, their title was husband and wife, though they may not have yet, very likely not consummated the marriage yet. They were still considered like that. Betrothals were commonly, you know, lasted about a year or so. And it was so binding that in the first century world, if a woman's fiancé died during that period, she would be considered a widow in the betrothal period. So soon after Joseph and Mary... Uh, consented to this prearranged marriage, whatever your opinion is, that's probably what it was in the first century, both fathers getting together, Mary had this encounter with God's angel Gabriel. He informed Mary that God would had chosen her to overshadow her uh, by the Holy Spirit and would become pregnant with Jesus, and such an amazing wonder, indeed a miracle of miracles. And in response to this, this, this mature teenage girl, she said those amazing words, you know, it, I'm the Lord's servant. May it be done according to your word. And Mary then left town for her cousins, and and she returned home to Nazareth pregnant. The girl Joseph is promised to be married to is going to have a baby. And whoever the father is, Joseph knows it's not him. And you know, Nazareth's a small town. As a general rule, word gets around in a small town. Been there? So we have a reputable tzaddik, We have a pregnant fiancé in a small town where everybody knows everybody's business. So put yourself in Joseph's shoes for a minute. Your fiancé's pregnant. You've pledged your entire identity to the Torah, which gives specific instructions about somebody in Mary's condition. From Moses' law, Deuteronomy 22 is really clear. It states that if a woman pledged to be married is unfaithful, she shall be brought to the door of her father's house, And there the men of her town shall stone her to death. It goes on. She has done a disgraceful thing in Israel by being promiscuous while still in her father's house. You must purge this evil from among you. And I'm guessing God's holiness at that moment seemed pretty harsh to Joseph. But sexual unfaithfulness during the betrothal period would have been considered adultery. The Torah was clear. And Joseph's reputation as a tzaddik is on the line. I'm guessing his fellow tzaddikim, the other Jewish friends, upstanding friends, would have told him, this, is, this sin must be publicly exposed, Joe, and, and punished. But for some reason, Joseph couldn't bring himself to do this. Matthew says in chapter 119, And Joseph, her husband... Being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, planned to send her away secretly. And what we have here is a shift in Joseph's thinking. He's making a move from the old system to a newer, less familiar, less accepted system. In the old system, righteousness demanded Mary be exposed and excluded as a sinner. Standards have to be upheld in the old system. Righteousness always separates itself from sin and sinners. A righteous man, Tzaddik, would not have hesitated, but for some reason Joseph pauses. He couldn't bring himself to say the words and the broadcast condemnation to Mary, even though he was a self made Tzaddik, a righteous man according to Moses' Torah. It doesn't take much imagination to know how Joseph must have agonized over this for a few days or weeks. So continue to stand in his place for a moment. Imagine being in Joseph's shoes as Mary comes to you to explain the situation. You're engaged to this young teenage girl who comes to you and says, hey, I've got some good news and some bad news. Bad news is I'm pregnant even though we're not yet married. Good news is I haven't been with anybody else. An angel came to me, Joseph, and said, Hail Mary, full of grace. And he explained that I'm, I'm going to have a miracle baby and all generations will call me blessed. I know it's never happened before, but it's going to happen. You continue to stare at her for just a bit longer. I fled to be with my wise cousin, Elizabeth, who was also pregnant herself in her old age. And as soon as she greeted me, the, the child in her womb leapt. And she felt that and, and recognized that God was doing something. And as a sign, she prayed a blessing over me. Joe, I know it looks like I've been unfaithful to you while I've been away. And now that I'm home and I'm showing and people are talking, I believe God is doing what he foretold. Imagine how Mary must have pleaded with Joseph for her innocence. Imagine Joseph's struggle. Most likely, her father arranged the marriage. Joseph may not have known this young Mary terribly well at this moment. She seemed to be sincere, but an angel? Virgin birth? Come on. No way. A betrothal is in the first century world, is a legal act in that day, so to end a betrothal actually required an act of divorce. Uh, a simple document validated by a couple of witnesses. Joseph is willing to pay the bride price that that other guy should have paid for who got my girl pregnant. <laughs> Paying it to her father secretly, though, would mean he divorces Mary without any cause. Everything remains hushed, hushed. In the New Testament world, a woman with child who had been divorced for infidelity would be hard-pressed to get married again, leaving her without means of support, especially when her parents would pass away. So divorcing her secretly was actually honorable. It was a way to minimize her suffering And also a way for Joseph to sustain his status as a tzaddik. You're talking about a win-win in the eyes of people. However, before he went through with his plan, Matthew says, Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. for He will save his people from their sins the angel said, don't be afraid. Afraid? Afraid of what? Well, offending God, violating the Torah, losing his reputation. He he would be afraid of God's wrath and everybody else and what they think about him. Joseph knew. I'm, I'm sure he He had his own doubts about Mary and what Mary told him about the angel. But there's no way the people in the town were going to believe an angel came to a poor couple in an obscure village and and caused the conception of a child in the body of a virgin teenager. So is he going to throw all of his good reputation away because of the story this girl was telling him? He knew if he went ahead and married her, his friends would never accept his account of what happened. He would be never invited back to their homes. He would not be given their business. He would never again be admired and respected as a lover of the Torah. If he committed himself to the story of this girl and this baby, he would do so at enormous sacrifice. His whole reputation, the work of a lifetime actually, would be trashed. But God did something through that angelic messenger that strengthened faith in Joseph to trust God. You ever been there? You ever been in that encounter point with God where maybe you were? Maybe it's a worship time here, or maybe a retreat or a conference, or maybe you're on a mission trip or you're reading the scripture at home privately, or you're in a group of godly friends praying, and you sensed a conviction point to do something brave for God, to take a step for him, to take a step to benefit someone else to st- a step that would not be safe that would require trust you ever been so moved by the spirit of god to do something countercultural against the odds against the norm that is risky territory To downsize, to give stuff away, to take a job that doesn't pay as much in order to be home more, uh, to move into a ministry with your family, to extend grace to that person that doesn't deserve it. Maybe, I'm guessing, many of us have taken that step. I just want you to remember what that was like for just a moment, because we'll relate to Joseph to some degree. Recall your faithful obedience. God's not looking for road obedience, but transformational obedience that actually participates with him. And you know, when our lives intersect with God and we're moved to risky obedience like Joseph and Mary, we will lose something if we go through that intersection every time. We'll lose something. and Many of us understand what that price has cost. Matthew says, Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife but kept her as a virgin until she gave birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. In obeying the angel's words, Joseph did two courageous things. Number one, he took Mary home as his wife, a legal step in Jewish law. That meant he was publicly claiming her as his wife, despite being pregnant during betrothal. what looks like infidelity, adultery. He claimed her. And he abstained from sexual intimacy with his wife until delivery in order to fulfill that prophecy of a virgin birth. You talk about a man who honors a woman. And he did a second courageous thing. He named the baby. We kind of skim over this in the Christmas story, but he named the child. It was a legal action in ancient Judaism. It meant, get this, he was publicly adopting that child as his child. The seemingly illegitimate son of an unwed teenage girl, he is claiming her boy is now his boy with all the attached stigma that comes with that baby's arrival. You know, in taking those two steps, this upstanding Sadiq has now deliberately tied his destiny to the lives of two stained reputations. Joseph has made a decision that will stun anybody who pauses enough to comprehend it. Now his days as a Jewish taddik as a righteous man according to the Torah they are over and whatever the future has for him it will not be polite respectability from now on when Joseph would look in the eyes of people in Nazareth they would never look at him the same way. They would never look at him with the same level of respect and admiration they would They would view his reputation as ruined. They would never look at him with the same regard. And when he looked into the eyes of that child, though, he knew he'd done the right thing. Irony of ironies, he did name the boy Jesus. Yahweh saves. Yahweh saves restores. Yahweh delivers and rescues. God redeems and God adopts broken, messy people into his family. Dysfunctional, socially discarded lives. This child will deliver from sin. And that's actually the deep root issue of each of us. God wants to save us from the root issue. It's our sin that fractures our relationships. It's our sin that creates heartache and and pain. Sin divides and sin shames. It doesn't like the light of truth exposing it. So the angel tells Joseph that God is raising up a deliverer who will rescue, who will redeem us from sin's deathly divisive effects. That describes who Jesus is, and his reputation preceded him even before he was born. (laughs) Jesus, the ultimate fulfillment of God's redemption story so here's how Joseph's decision affects us his decision determines our destiny today his decision back then determines our destiny today you see Joseph adopts Jesus into the line of david his bloodline thus this son would be david's eternal heir and through this eternal ruler god would redeem us by adopting us and naming us and claiming us and making us his heirs <laughs> Imagine, imagine that. If Joseph doesn't take this wife and name this child, we will not be able to claim this morning, this season, this year, God is with us. So go back in time with me just for a minute. Imagine we were, we were to give Joseph some counsel. Hey, Joe. Hope you're doing well. No pressure, bro. But all the generations following you are hanging in the balance on what you're going to do with this girl. If you choose to divorce her, the nations actually are going to be distant from God. But if you choose to obey these words, the nations will draw near to God through this child and fulfill Old Testament prophecy so that we can claim him, Emmanuel, God who is with us, us unrighteous, broken, sinful people. Continue on giving Joe counsel. Joseph, Mary is faithfully obeying God because all the promises and all the prophecies are actually coming true. What God said to Abraham is now coming true through you and through Mary to be a blessing to all the nations and all the languages. And Joseph, it's better than expected. It's not just any baby. It's actually God himself coming with skin on. He will now get us. Best present ever, Joe. So, hey man, no pressure. But the future of all the families after yours are hanging in the balance. Maybe God decided that Jesus, who would be called friend of sinners, should be raised in a family that knew firsthand what it feels like to be Regarded as society's second-class category. When Mary and Joseph left Nazareth for Bethlehem, all eyes must have been on them with scorn, with mockery. And then when Mary and Joseph returned to Nazareth, who returns back to the town that mocked you? They returned to Nazareth with baby Jesus. Can you imagine all the labels applied to that child in that town? That illegitimate son of that girl, that's the nice way to put it. The son of that hopeful tzaddik. Jesus' own reputation mirrored that of his father. Maybe part of why God, why Jesus had a heart for unrespectable people that is that he was raised by a father who sacrificed his respectability for Jesus. It may be one reason why Jesus had compassion on women who were walking scandals is he knew... What it meant to his mom that his father stuck with her by her side when she was single and pregnant and all the righteous folks would say, take a hike. As he was growing up, I can't help but imagine that Jesus must have admired his dad's courage. Later, when Joseph was long dead and Jesus is now an adult on a mount, he gives a sermon And he said this statement, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, unless your righteousness surpasses the old system, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus must have been thinking inside, I've seen a better kind of righteousness firsthand. My father was such a man. God had a good reason for this odd, painful, lonely Start to a family. God, you, know, you know God's the only one who chose his parents. Joseph and Mary were chosen not because of their fame, their wealth, their status. They're just a young peasant, a couple of teenagers in the backwoods of the Roman Empire. But why them? Why would God choose to bank everything on them and to go all in? Because their character was all in with God, with faithful obedience. And God still calls people to sacrifice their reputation. To sacrifice their status. He calls people to sacrifice their comfort for the sake of obedience in order to benefit people they may never ever meet this side of heaven. That's why we seek to extend this child's rule of renewal. Love does righteous deeds like like Joseph, like Jesus. And you know when Joseph made the hard decision to marry to marry Mary, he thought it was the end of his being known as a righteous man. He didn't know fully that the child he would adopt would bring the human race a new kind of righteousness, one of truth and one of grace. That's why we celebrate Christmas. So that's the story. How about your story? Where does your story fit into this? Establishing a new kind of righteousness requires us to deepen those roots of truth and grace deep into our soul so that we, like Jesus, would get involved with messy lives. Instead of shying away from them to maintain our holiness, like the old system of righteousness, God didn't shy away. God got all in with us. Joseph's reputation as a righteous man, according to the old system, that was all sacrificed to obey God, regardless of public opinion. Listen to this. Obedience deconstructs our reputation in the eyes of people. And it builds a character in the eyes of God. Obedience deconstructs our reputation in the eyes of people, but it builds a character in the eyes of God. So, what defines us today? May it be a character of obedient faith. Joseph and Mary were defined by obedience and faithfulness, not because they're famous, Mary's a nobody. Joseph's like you and me, just an average Joe. Joseph and Mary, they're remembered not because they're powerful, not because they're rich, but because they're obedient and because they're faithful. What would it look like to embody a character of obedient faith? Can I go so far as to say, suggest that it may mean like Mary and Joseph, you taste disgrace in the eyes of people. It may mean you taste ridicule. Obedient faith like that means you might get overlooked for a certain promotion or you might actually be misunderstood. Hmm. If you want to bring Christ in the center of your life as Joseph and Mary did, here's what's at stake. A new kind of righteousness that forms your character. It means letting God's truth confront disobedience and doubt in you. It means letting God's grace... His compassion and mercy and love cascade like a waterfall over you. It means submitting to him, being willing to be encountered by God's supremacy and his authority and giving him permission to examine what defines us to the core. Giving him permission to do a TSA x-ray on my legalisms and my laziness or my lack of temperance with food and drink to allow him to examine my labeling of people inappropriately, and my leveraging of grudges. And we pray, search me, O God, and know my heart. Point out anything that offends you. I'm willing, be, I'm willing to be conformed to your character. If you want to bring Christ into the center of your life, as Joseph and Mary did, here's what's at stake. A new kind of righteousness that guides your actions. An outrageous faith a ruthless obedience. To possess God's righteousness requires courageous response, a brave response like Joseph and Mary. So what obstacles can get in the way and eclipse our obedient faith? My comfort, my control, my preferences, my security, what others think about me, my ego. I get in the way all day long and eclipse what obedient faith could actually look like and That act of obedient faith demands you put to death the reputation you're trying to build and trying to protect. You put it to death. You stop grasping for prestige and you start giving yourself wholeheartedly to God and you give yourself away to people becoming less so they might become more. You're in clutching your position as Jesus did over someone else and you're submitting as a servant to help them reach their capacity. Those sorts of actions display an outrageous faith and a ruthless obedience. Self-absorption actually draws attention from others, but self-giving, self-giving actually directs attention to God. That's what Moses or Joseph and Mary did in their marriage, and what Jesus did for us in adopting us in our frail brokenness. If you're gonna work overtime to preserve a reputation, or or if you're trying to rewrite a reputation in the eyes of others, can I just encourage us this morning to come clean before God, before your adoptive father, and be transparent with him, with your fears, and find rest in him, in his presence, and let his grace and his truth marinate your soul. God still uses obedient, faithful people to accomplish his plans. God still touches people through willing servants like you. God still uses people like you, Christ in you for you, but for someone beyond you that they may realize what it is that God is with us. Want to be useful for God? Submit your reputation to the throne so that God can build a character of obedient faith in you. I think Deal Moody puts it aptly. He said, if I take care of my character, my reputation will take care of itself. How about if we pray? Thank you, Jesus, for your brave, core character, faithful obedience to come to be near us broken, messy people. Thank you for naming us and claiming us and adopting us that we didn't deserve it. Thank you for your presence now within us by your spirit to help us take on your character as we see in Joseph and Mary of brave obedience and faithfulness. Would you form with us within us a new kind of righteousness of grace and truth that our character reflects yours? and that our actions reflect yours as well. We pray you would work through us and in us, that people would know you are with us. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. To find out more about our church, please visit revolution22.org. We encourage you to not neglect meeting together as believers. And may you continue to love God and love others.